morning, everyone. And uh, thank you. Oh, my, yep. We're on, yep. Let me just keep that one. Go ahead. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Will I grab one of the microphones? Let's try that. Is that better? Now I've only got one hand to rave about. <laughs> if you can get me working, it'd be great, Isaac. Anyway, thank you, Oliver, for praying for me. Thank you, Benjamin, for reading. And thank you, Sarah, for uh, leading our worship today. Do you know there are times whenever God's word is hard to stomach? And I reckon last week was one of those times. As we listen to those six out of seven trumpets blow and sound a solemn warning regarding God's judgment on those who dwell on the earth, in other words, on unbelievers, and as we looked at the harrowing nature and extent and impact of those disturbing judgment, it affected many of us. It upset a number of us deep down because we don't want anyone never mind those we know and love, to have to deal with that or to have to face it unprepared or worse still, unrepentant. And yet, as the coming again of Jesus draws ever closer, and it does, although I realize that people have been saying that for centuries, and therefore I do wonder if we really believe it or expect it. But as the clock runs down, the reality of God's judgment now and ultimately is something we do need to consider. We've got to consider it. Have a chat with the person beside you. <laughs> no, really do. Have a Still no, still no, no joy. Right, we're back to this. Okay, let's just stick with this. But as the uh, as the clock runs down, the reality of God's judgment now and ultimately is something, as I say, we do need to consider. We've got to consider it. We have to consider it, even if even if we find it difficult to digest, and even if it does unsettle us at times. But alongside the bitterness of last week there was also a sweet dimension because we discovered how God's Word highlighted and drew attention to mercy and how God's Word revealed that mercy is still available and how God in His mercy has given and is giving people today the opportunity and the time to repent before it is too late and before they do have to face pending judgment. I quoted part of the following verse last Sunday, the bit about God not wanting anyone to perish, but let me quote the whole verse this week. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, some count slowness, but God is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. Do we believe that? God does not want 
any to perish, but that all would reach repentance. Mercy extends. God's heart is that everyone would repent. That line there about God not being slow to fulfill His promises, that refers to the coming again of Jesus. God has promised it. God has said it is going to happen. It hasn't happened yet, not because God's dragging His heels, not because God has somehow lost track of time. No, it's because He's patient. Or you could say it's because He is slow to anger, and so He's given time. He's extending mercy because his heart is that all would repent. So, the bitter, sweet taste of God's Word. We're going to come back to that, and some of you have probably picked up on this as Benjamin read Revelation 10, because it picks up on this very issue. For anyone who's visiting, we, we've been reading this entire letter together for quite a bit of time, and I appreciate that if you're here this morning and you're jumping into this, it's going to be really hard. But we have listened as a church as seven seals on the scroll have been slit open and judgment has commenced. And then, as I said a moment ago, last week we listened as six out of the seven trumpets were sounded and what seemed like an increased and intensified level of judgment commenced, particularly towards those who dwell on the earth. And all of that brought us to the end of chapter 9, but as you turn the page to chapter 10, you don't, as you might expect you would, you don't then read about the seventh trumpet. There's a pause, another pause, just like between seal 6 and 7, there's an interlude between trumpet 6 and 7. And the question is, why? Well, we can only assume that something else needs to be seen. Something else needs to be said. Something else needs to be written down. And as you read the first three words of Revelation 10, we're back to that question we've got to keep asking as we read this letter together. What does John see next. Not what happens next. It's not sequential. It's not chronological. It's what John sees next. That's the issue. And so, the first three words of chapter 10 is this, then I saw. So, there are new things to see. There are new images to contemplate. There are new insights to discover, and that's what we're going to do this morning. If you have a copy of Revelation 10 in front of you, it's going to be so helpful. So, the question is, what does John see? He sees a mighty angel, or as it says here, he sees another mighty angel. There's been quite a few of them, and this one is wrapped in a cloud, rainbow over his head, face like the sun, legs like pillars of fire. In other words, impressive. Impressive. Cloud, rainbow, sun, fire, 
all indicate that this angel is at the very least a representative of God. God's presence is here. God's faithfulness is here. God's glory is here. God's guidance is here. God's holiness is here. And he's carrying something. Plus, he's got something to say to John. And in his hand is an open scroll, here described as a little scroll, which begs the question, is this the same scroll that God was holding? Which the Lamb Jesus opened when he slit the seven seals? Or is this a different scroll? Or is this a condensed, shorter version of the longer scroll? Well, it's not entirely clear. But whatever is on it, whatever is in it, it's God's Word. And as we're about to see later, John is instructed to communicate it, to speak it, to proclaim it, to share it. So back to the angel. He's holding this open scroll in his hand. And he plants, and this is so important, he plants one foot on the sea and one foot on the land, which expresses or is an expression of God's authority and his control over all the earth. And that in itself is a vivid picture and reminder that despite what is going on, despite what's kicking off, despite all the apparent mess and mayhem, which the first readers of this letter are seeing around them and experiencing. And despite what we see all around us today in so many different ways, and oh, how we see it. Despite all of this, God is still firmly in control. He's still sovereign. He is still and always working out his plans and purposes. He's still speaking, still communicating. God has still got this full authority, total control. In a few chapters' time, we're going to read about and we're going to encounter a couple of beasts who rise up and wreak havoc. But for now, the interesting thing to note is that one of those beasts comes up out of the sea. The other one comes up out of the land. And so it's no coincidence that right here and now, this mighty angel's right foot is firmly planted on the sea and is left on the earth. In other words, what is this communicating? It's saying, listen, God is not about to lose control here when these beasts raise. God is not about to be blindsided. God's plans are not about to be sabotaged. The enemy and enemies of God are still active. The consequences of sin and the brokenness of this world are still going to be playing out. But God is still in control. Do we believe that? As we look around us today, we may want to question it. We might want to understand why, for example, does God even allow the beast to come up out of the sea and to come up out of the earth? Why? Well, the fact is, 
God is sovereign and God is in control. And for want of a better phrase for me, that is a comforting confusion. God is on the throne and his authority and his control over the earth is symbolized by this mighty angel's posture and position. Standing, one foot firmly planted on the sea, the other on the land. God has got this. And if we have forgotten that, or if we're losing sight of that, my advice is don't. <laughs> don't. And then the angel speaks. To be more accurate, he roars. Verse 3, it says, he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring, which again is another sign and symbol of God's presence here. Because, for example, we read in Amos 3 that the lion has roared, and who would fear because the Lord has spoken? This angel roars. But what does he say? Well, this is fascinating to me. He actually sets off, his voice, his roar sets off the sound of seven thunders, which communicates something. And John hears what they communicate, and he's about to write down what he hears. He's going to write it down for his first readers and for us. Let's just pause for a second. So there are seven seals, there are seven trumpets. And as we're about to see, as we read on in this series, there are going to be seven bowls. But who knew there were seven thunders? You don't often hear that sequence of seven mentioned when people talk about Revelation. And there's a reason you don't often hear. And here is the reason. There's nothing to say. And this is so frustrating. Because just as John is about to put pen to paper, just about as John hears this voice from heaven speak and says to him, stop. Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And you think, what are you serious? Like, don't you just hate when that sort of thing happens? When someone starts a conversation and suggests or indicates that they have some important news and information for you and then they go, nah. Nah, doesn't matter. Not going to say it. Forget it. Drives you mad. Well, that's kind of what happens here. Seven thunders sound. God hears what they say, or John hears what they say. John is about, he's posed to write it all down, and heaven says, God says, no. You see, and I know we know this, but this is a great reminder that we don't know everything. We won't know everything. We can't know everything. Our vision is limited. We don't always have the full picture. To quote Scripture, the secret things belong to God. There is more going on. There is more happening than we will ever know. There's lots happening that we will never know. And honestly, that's okay. We don't have to have an answer to every question. We don't have insight to every issue, including the sovereignty of God, but God does. And we need to recognize that and accept that, and I need to submit to that. 
And so there are things and there are details we don't have a clue about. There are aspects of so much that we are lost to understand, particularly maybe even in Revelation. And either we keep guessing, either we keep making up our own answers or our own explanations or drawing our own charts, or we accept, listen, God knows certain things. God knows hidden things. God knows everything. And at one level, that's all I need to know. And that's not suggesting we won't be frustrated at times, and I know many of us are. And that's not even saying that we shouldn't be inquisitive and we shouldn't stop seeking answers and explanations, but it's simply a reminder that it's okay not to know. There's more going on. God hasn't revealed everything. He doesn't have to. He doesn't need to, but He has revealed enough. Seven thunders have sounded. No idea what they said. Back to the angel, because he then raises his right hand to heaven and he swears an oath, declaring there will be no more delay. And that when the seventh trumpet is sounded, the mystery of God will be fulfilled or it will be accomplished just as He announced to His prophets. Or in another translation, when that seventh trumpet sounds, God's plan will be carried out. In other words, this is a reminder that the end really is coming soon. That clock really is ticking down. The restoration of all things really is about to happen. Jesus is really coming again. So keep praying, come Lord Jesus. You see, amidst all these cycles, and there's more to come as I say, the bowls. Amidst all this information about what's going on and what might take place, and amidst all the speculation and queries around the timing, giving that it has been promised and talked about for years and years and years, you could lose sight of what lies ahead. You could forget that this world is on borrowed time. You could even begin to doubt that a brand new day and a brand new world is on the horizon. And therefore, John needed to know, and his first readers needed to know, and we need to know that these sevens won't go on forever. The waiting won't go on forever. There will come a point when there will be no more delay. And the angel declares that here and now to ensure that John and his readers stay focused and they retain hope, and that they keep praying, come, Lord Jesus. I mentioned this earlier, but people I know have scoffed at the idea of Jesus coming for centuries. I've already quoted to Peter 3, 9, the bit about God not wanting anybody to perish, but all to reach repentance. But just before that, here's what he wrote. You should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is, where is this promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are just continuing as they were since the beginning of creation. And you know, there's a real danger that 2,000 years later, 
we echo those sentiments. In fact, because it's two millennia later, we might want to even echo them even louder. All things, God, are just continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. It's not, it's never going to happen in our lifetime. That would be a grave mistake. The angel says to John, there will be no more delay. The seventh trumpet will sound. And therefore, the critical question is, when it does sound, then time is no more. And the end has come. Are you ready for that? Because honestly, honestly, it could happen at any second. And so this mighty angel reminds John of this reality. Amidst all that is going on, amidst all I'm saying, amidst all God is communicating these visions and what you see, there will be no more delay. John then gets invited to be involved. A voice from heaven, the same one that told him not to write those seven thunders down, what they said. That same voice speaks up again and says, John, I want you to go and take the open scroll from the angel. Can you imagine how John must have felt? this mighty angel. He's got one foot planted in the sea, one foot planted there, and you're telling me you want me to go and take that scroll from him. And so John does, and he goes, and he asks the angel to give it to him. And then the angel tells him to do something really strange. John, eat it. Take these God words Take this, these words from God, take this word off God, and consume it, ingest it, swallow it, absorb it, get it down your neck. But it's going to be bittersweet. It's going to make your stomach bitter. Low in your mouth, it's going to be as sweet as honey. And right enough, when John takes it and he eats it, it is, as it says in verse 10, it's sweet in his mouth, but he finds it really difficult to stomach. And then he's told, go prophesy. Go share is what that means. Go proclaim. Go forth tell. Go communicate. Go tell the contents of the scroll to peoples and tongues and nations and kings. If we step back for a second, something we've been saying all along is that there are so many connections between the Old Testament and Revelation and that to really understand Revelation, you need to understand the Old Testament. And whenever they come to this bit in this particular reading, so many of the first readers would have immediately recognized this whole idea. I don't know if any of you recognize this, if it rings any bells. 
But those who hear this for the first time, those first readers would have immediately connected what is going on here with what happened to the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel because he was asked to do a very similar thing. Here's Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 9 to 3, 3. Then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me, and in it was a scroll which he unrolled before me, and on both sides of it, there it is again, it was written words of lament and mourning and woe, words of judgment. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you, eat this scroll, then go and speak it to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. And then he said to me, son of man, take the scroll I'm giving you. Fill your stomach with it. And so I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. You see, Ezekiel was clearly given a tough message to say to share. It's a message of lament. It's a message of mourning. It's a message of woe. It's a message of judgment. But as with all of God's word, it tasted. It was bitter, but it tasted sweet. Psalm 119, that classic psalm about the Word of God, we read this, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And here, John, just like Ezekiel, has been given a tough message to share. There's a bitterness to these words of judgment that he's having to write down, that he's having to see, that he's having to record. And if you were here last week, you will have felt that. I hope you did. There's a bitterness to these words. They're hard to stomach. But share them he must. Communicate them he must. Proclaim them he must. But as with all of God's word and his specific words, they're sweet to taste because they enhance life. They inform. They transform. They shape. They guide. They correct. They help. They offer hope. You see, part of the reason for this pause in the trumpets is because John and his readers, his first readers, including us today, need to be reminded that we have been given, you and I have been given God's sweet word. And the low parts of it are solemn and serious and bitter. And although its message at times cuts us up and cuts us open, as Hebrews 4 says it will do, we need to digest it and then declare it. We need to consume it and then communicate it. Church, I know we often stress the importance of reading, studying, prioritizing, meditating on, memorizing, listening to, feeding on God's Word as a spiritual discipline, as a holy habit, as a regular practice. But this morning, I want to take another opportunity based on this interlude in what might seem like a strange aspect of John's vision in Revelation 9 to repeat and to reemphasize the need for you and I to be people of this book. Are we taking it on board? Are we living it out? Or was sharing it with others. How much of this have I consumed this week? How much of this have I proclaimed this week? Even to those in power, even to kings, never mind other peoples and nations and tongues. And so as we press pause now in the pause because there's more to come in this interlude and that's what we're going to look at next week in Revelation chapter 11. 
And let me give you a heads up. Somebody has said about that, the Bible that of all the books in all the world, the Bible is one of the most troubling. Of all the books in all the Bible, Revelation is probably the most troubling. Of all the chapters in all of Revelation, chapter 11 is the most troubling. Okay? You have been warned. So as we press pause, I hope today we will know these five things as we walk out of here. Five things to take away. God is in control. He is sovereign. If the guys want to come back. God is in control. He is sovereign over all. He is sovereign over us. Secondly, He knows so much more than we do. There's lots going on that we do not understand. We do not have a clue about, and that's okay. Number three, there will be no more delay. It really is going to happen. Please, church, let's keep praying. Come, Lord Jesus. Number four, you must allow the bitter sweet taste of God's Word to be a core part of your daily diet because remember, you are what you eat. And fifthly, we've got to share this. May God help us and may God keep us. And so we're going to close with sovereign over us, which concludes a line like, when beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. You are wisdom unimagined. Who could understand your ways? Reigning high above the heavens, reaching down in endless grace. Let's stand and submit to the one who is in control.